Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Yes, good morning. Go ahead, you can. <laughs> I don't expect it because typically people don't say good morning back to me, so I just kept speaking. But. Um, we're looking at Luke chapter 2 today. We're, we'll continue from where Jonathan left off last week. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Um, page 857, if you're using the Bibles here at the church. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and we'll read through verse 40. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything... According to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. O Lord God, may your words this day be swift and piercing in our midst, passing from the ears of your people right into their hearts. And from their hearts to their mouths and into their conversations. So that like the rain and the snow that water the earth and do not return empty, so also neither may your word 
but accomplish that for which it is given. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, at Christmas, we hear a lot about peace and joy and love. We hear about a child being born to us. We hear about angels singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo and shepherds guarding their flocks in the fields and magi following a star, a manger scene, a baby who is Christ the Lord, and more peace, joy, and love. For some people, these words, these images have true meaning. They really are celebrating the coming of their Savior, and they can actually live with peace. They know that because Jesus came, the salvation God promises is real. For other people, I can only imagine that all these words and images sound sort of like a a bad joke. What's a baby born 2,000 years ago got to do for me? Peace? Joy? Sort of feels like our world is more divided than ever before. Seems like this is the time of the year when people are more dissatisfied with all the stuff they have while also wanting even more stuff. The words and the lights and the carols of Christmas may seem very hollow to these people. You see, there's a line running through the world and on through time and history separating all people between those who claim Jesus as Savior and dedicate their lives to Him and those who do not. Who or what are you dedicated to? That is the critical question that this passage we just read leaves us with. Dedication is all over this text. It's the major theme of the passage. And what this portion of God's word is meant to do in your life is to convince you to dedicate your life to Christ. Or if you already have, to remind you what it means, what it looks like to dedicate your life to him. Let's look at this theme in our text briefly. Notice first how carefully Mary and Joseph dedicate themselves to following God's laws. The first couple verses detail uh, several different laws that they're keeping by coming to Jerusalem. Just before this passage, we didn't read it, but they've kept the law by circumcising Jesus on the right day and naming him the name that the angel Gabriel said they were supposed to name him. And then notice the phrase that occurs throughout this text. Maybe you noticed it, according to the law. Okay, so verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Then farther along, verse 27, according to the custom of of the law. And finally, to finish the passage in verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Five times these words are repeated. So we need to be underlining, we need to be paying attention to these phrases. Luke wants it to be clear how dedicated Joseph and Mary are to following God's law from the earliest days of Jesus' life. But the theme of dedication doesn't stop there. Notice the long introductions to these people, Simeon and Anna. The goal in both cases is to establish their true 
dedication to the Lord. So in verses 25 to 26, uh, we're told about Simeon. Not what his occupation is. We're not told how old he is. We're told his spiritual qualifications. This is a godly man filled with the Holy Spirit. Same with Anna in verses 36 and 37. What does Luke tell us about her? He tells us how long she's been a widow, which in that culture was a sign of someone who was completely dedicated to God. She has spent her life fasting and praying in the temple. And finally, even Jesus, right, is literally dedicated to the Lord. Back right in the beginning, verse 22, we're told that Joseph and Mary have brought him to the temple to present him to the Lord. You see, every firstborn son in Israel belonged to God. He had to be either bought back by his parents, ransomed, redeemed, or dedicated to serve the Lord. Why does Luke spend all this time emphasizing the dedication of his characters? He's building their resumes. He's making them hard to argue with. These people cannot be dismissed as outsiders to Judaism or zealots or people who are just unhappy with the status quo. They are the real deal. Again, notice what Luke emphasizes. Three times we're told that that the Holy Spirit is specifically revealing truth to Simeon. Luke wants to make it clear. You need to take this guy seriously. And his message is to dedicate yourself to Christ. Simeon offers at least two reasons here to dedicate ourselves to Christ. First, Because Jesus offers you peace. Jesus offers you peace. Simeon says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. What kind of images does that word peace bring up in your minds? Maybe an effortless smile that spreads from your eyes down to your chin. A complete relaxation of every muscle in your body from relief as years of worry and strain drain out of you. Maybe a laugh as you realize that for once you have no fear lurking somewhere in the back of your mind. No deadlines to ignore. Peace when you can truly and actually rest because you know without a doubt your existence has meaning. You don't need to endlessly work or win something or convince someone to love you to feel like there's a reason you're here. Perhaps those are some of the thoughts going through Simeon's mind as he stands there with the Savior of the world in his arms, tears dripping down his eyes, a blessing on his lips. And why? How does Simeon get that peace? Verse 30. For or because... My eyes have seen your salvation. Because Simeon has seen the Savior of the world, he is confident that God will save him. And so he has nothing to fear. He can live with peace. But notice the knowledge of salvation that gives him peace. It's not just for him, right? Verse 32. It's 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to you. In Christ, this light has come to all nations. Now, peace here does not mean the absence of all trouble and pain in this world. It's a a spiritual peace between you and God. But listen, that spiritual peace truly is the foundation upon which peace with your families and peace with your enemies and peace with your pain and your suffering and your loss can be built. And I think as we watch Simeon as well as Anna, we learn two things about obtaining this peace. First, we learn that sometimes we have to wait. Verse 25 says that Simeon has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means comfort. He's, he's waiting for God to come and comfort his people. Now, Simeon had a special promise, right? He was going to get to see part of God's salvation before he died. We don't know how long he's been waiting for that. But there were many, many righteous people in the Old Testament who waited and didn't get to see the Savior. They had no special promise like Simeon. I think of the prophet Daniel. Daniel pleads with God, come, comfort your people. And he's told, you're just going to have to wait. Sometimes that's what we have to do. Similarly with Anna. She's had to wait a long time. In in Luke's case, he actually tells us how long. Uh, She was probably married around 14 or so uh, for seven years, we're told. So 21 When she became a widow, uh, she likely could have remarried at that point, but instead she chooses to spend the next 63 years at the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. Why do people fast for 63 years? Because they're waiting for something. Sometimes we just have to wait. For a thousand years in your sight, O Lord, or as a day that has just gone by, That's the God we serve. Ask yourself, if you aren't prepared to wait on his timing, then who's serving who? Servants wait. That's what we do. Simeon and Anna, they teach us about waiting, but they also teach us about faith. They teach us about faith. What do Simeon and Anna actually see? in the temple that day. All they see is a baby. Right now, this is not just any baby, of course, right? This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But think about it. Simeon says he has seen God's salvation, but he really hasn't seen a lot. He doesn't know how Jesus is going to save his people. He hasn't heard Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life, or come unto me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He hasn't seen Jesus on the cross. He hasn't seen Jesus risen from the dead, gloriously bright, brighter even than the sun. He doesn't know about the Jesus Christ of Revelation with flaming eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. He he doesn't know about the lamb who was slain and is now worthy to open the scroll. Just a baby. That's all he sees. But it's enough. 
I can go in peace, he says. On the other hand, we do know all those things about Jesus and God's plan of salvation. I mean, we know loads more than Simeon. Uh, My wife, Jana, once suggested to me that Simeon is sort of like a kid at Christmas who's given a present, but not yet allowed to unwrap it. But just having it in his hands is enough. It's enough for Simeon. He doesn't get to shake it and sniff it. I mean, I guess he does get to hold the baby, Jesus. But just knowing he's there is enough for him to say, I'm good to go. I can leave Christmas behind in peace. I don't need to see what's under the wrapping paper. I'm confident because I've seen my salvation. I know it exists. Now, we have gotten to unwrap that present. We can read all the details in the back of the box, maybe peek through the clear plastic window at some of the parts inside. It still hasn't been totally unwrapped, right? We can't take Jesus out of the box and walk around with him yet. But here's the question that has to do with our faith. Is that enough? Can you walk away from the Christmas tree this year in peace? Because you've seen your salvation. You have so much more than Simeon and Anna ever had. And that is not to shame you, friends. It is to assure you. That's the goal of Luke's entire book. Chapter 1, verse 4. To give certainty about the things that you have been taught. You don't need more evidence to believe in God's salvation. You may just need to stop letting your fears and anxieties be the loudest talkers in your life. They talk so loud, but they're false prophets. They're liars. They're not in control of anything. But Simeon and Anna, they are true prophets. There's nothing wrong about being challenged by their faith. You want to grow to be more like them. And listen, more often than not, God uses means to grow our faith. You've got to be in the temple when Jesus shows up if you want to get to see him. You've got to listen to what Jesus says. Sit down with the people of faith and learn from them. Get on your knees and pray with them. That's not salvation by works. It's just dedication to your king. Paul tells the church in Corinth that many of them are weak and sick. Why? Because they're not doing the basic things what Christians are supposed to do. You may be surprised how often it really is that simple. To those who dedicate themselves to him, Jesus offers peace. But now there's a second reason that Simeon tells us we should dedicate ourselves to Jesus. The second reason is because he is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way. We find this idea in verses 34 and 35. And Simeon goes on and he speaks directly to Mary. He says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
This is a shocking change in mood, isn't it? Uh, Simeon shifts from speaking about peace and Jesus as a light to all nations to talking about division. If you read straight through the book of Luke from the beginning, this is the first note of discord that you would come to. Prior to this point, you would expect all Israel is going to embrace Jesus. But as Simeon prophesies, Jesus will divide the nation of Israel in two. And this helps us understand why Luke builds such a case for the dedication of of Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary. He lives in a world in which Judaism has been divided. And he wants people to understand Jesus is the true fulfillment of Old Testament Judaism. Christianity is not a new religion that came out of Judaism. It's not God's plan B because the Israelites didn't behave well enough. It's the true fulfillment of Abraham's promised descendants who would be more than the sand and the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. This image of rising and falling that that Simeon uses in verse 34 is probably taken from some of the messianic prophecies of Isaiah, which... uh, referred to a stone that many would stumble and fall over, but which for others would be a cornerstone that could be trusted in. Jesus says that he is that stone in Luke chapter 20. And the image is picked up. It's used again and again throughout the New Testament as an image of division. But... It's more than just Israel that Jesus divides. Jesus is the dividing line of history. Throughout time, the question that matters to God is not which family are you from, not not what race or what country, not what gender you are, not whether you're rich or poor, not whether you have a PhD or no education at all, not whether you're a good person or a bad person. The question that separates the world into is, are you dedicated to Christ or not? Jesus says about himself in Luke chapter 12, verses 51 to 53, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What family among us doesn't know and understand the painful division that Jesus speaks of here? It is inescapable. No matter how careful, loving, and inclusive a family tries to be, who or what you dedicate yourself to will always rise to the top. It defines who you are, what you do, what you value, whether you have peace. I would guess many of you experienced this division even this past week. I'm sorry. You're not alone. Two chapters from our text, Luke chapter 4. The very town that Jesus grew up in, his neighbors, his childhood playmates, will try to throw him off a cliff. 
and Mary will have to watch. Simeon describes what this division will feel like to Mary. It will feel like a sword piercing her soul. You see that? Verse 35. There are two Greek words for sword used in the New Testament. The normal word just refers to a short sword. Uh, But this word used here by Luke is different. It's it's only used here and in the book of Revelation in a couple places. And it refers to a much larger sword with a very wide, double-edged blade. You can imagine a sword like that would do catastrophic damage when it pierced someone. It represents extreme suffering and pain. Don't forget how painful it must have been for Mary to watch her son be misunderstood and hated and then crucified by the world. If you have experienced the pain of division, you are not alone. Now, I understand that talking about division may not seem like an argument in favor of devoting yourself to Christ, but you see, it raises the stakes. It's all or nothing. Your choice is not just one among many, and there is no choice to just embrace apathy. You cannot simply choose to not dedicate your life to anyone. There are only two choices, two ways to live life. You dedicate yourself to Christ or you don't. Simeon says, Jesus will reveal the thoughts of many hearts because all the religious aspirations and good deeds, all the theological masterpieces and philosophical discussions about God boil down to one simple question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ or not? Have you built your life upon him, the cornerstone, the rock that doesn't roll? Or is he too difficult to believe in? Will you stumble over him and fall? Who is Christ to you? Cornerstone or stumbling block? A fragrance of life or a fragrance of death? Friends, there are two worlds all around you. At Christmas time, the differences between those two worlds are perhaps more apparent than at other times. The one world is full of Christmas trees and colored lights and Santa Claus and the Christmas spirit and sleigh bells and lots and lots of presents. And I'm not making a judgment on all the parts of that world and saying everything is is bad. You'll need to decide for yourselves what part that world plays in your life. But what I am saying to you is that you cannot afford to ignore the other world, the true world of Christmas. It begins when you dedicate yourself and your family to following Christ. And when you do that, it will separate you from the world and it might be painful sometimes. But good tidings of joy and peace mean something in this true world because they really do exist. In that world, the salvation that God promises is guaranteed because he sent someone to save you. He dedicated his firstborn son, his only son, to you. 
And will you dedicate yourself to the one who is dedicated to you? Let's pray. Father, Lord, God, we praise you. You dedicated your son to us. A savior of all the world. We pray that we would trust in that truth. And Lord, as we look at this Christmas around us, the lights and the trees and the ideas and the images, Lord, they would have meaning to us because we know Christ. We have dedicated ourselves to this baby that was born long ago, that Simeon and Anna knew was hope and peace for all the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.